And I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to our show. Um, obviously, we've got a lot of breaking news we're going to start with here. And um, I think we can all agree, before anything else, that we pray for our pilots and our military men and women in in the Middle East, all over the world. But obviously, there's a lot going on. We've been learning in the last hour uh, of retaliatory strikes uh, carried out by U.S. forces, including B-1s from the United States and various other uh, you know, assets that are in the Middle East against targets, we're told, in Syria and Iraq. This is a response to the attack, what, five days ago now, that killed three U.S. service members at the so-called Tower 22 base, which is where Jordan, Syria, and Iraq's borders come together. But there have been some 150, 160 attacks by Iran's proxy forces on our forces over the last several months. And sooner or later, one of them was going to get through and kill American servicemen. Um, I mean, it, it sounds terrible to say that, but but I think that's pretty clear. So you wonder, was there a plan for when that happened, was that happening necessary to trigger the plan? And was there a plan that included days and days of naming targets and talking about strikes and saying it was coming? And I know there's different interpretations of that, and they're above my pay grade, but to me, that is... That weakens the hand that you hold. I mean, we have the we have the strongest and most capable and most technologically advanced capabilities in the world, obviously. But I think their potency is enhanced by the element of surprise. And I'm wondering, and again, I say this with prayers and support for our troops, but I'm wondering if we didn't hit buildings that had been evacuated and locations that had been evacuated because unless they weren't paying attention, we practically told them we're coming and um, they might not have known exactly when, but they had days to get ready for it. By the way, I think the timing of this is very interesting. You do it on a Friday afternoon, Eastern time. You do it as the stock markets are closing. Uh, It's... It's just kind of, um, it, it feels very uh, like minimalist to me. Now, I'm also hearing a lot of the pundits on television say, well, this is just the beginning. There's going to be a lot more. Uh, there may be other targets in, in Syria and Iraq. There may be targets in Iran. Um, I, we don't know what we hit, obviously. We hope and pray that all of our people came home safely. Um, I, I keep thinking about, do you, do you remember Robert Gates? He was um, Defense Secretary under Bush and Obama. And he wrote a memoir many years ago, well before the presidency of Joe Biden. And he was talking about different people that he had worked with and known in the administrations in which he served. 
And of Joe Biden, he said something like, he's been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy decision in the last four decades. And then a couple of years ago, he did an interview where he repeated that. Now, By now, Biden was president, and we'd had the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, and Gates again said uh, he gets a lot wrong. So I, I think we all want to see a response, and I think we all pray for our troops and support them. But is the need for this response due to bad policy, due to um, bad foreign policy, due to projecting weakness. You know, something that they've said about the Middle East for a long time, and it doesn't make it true necessarily, but I've heard it a lot and I think it might be true, is that um, those regimes recognize force. Uh, and they don't, they don't respect restraint, they don't respect nuance, um, and yet what we've gotten, just, just yesterday, the Biden administration was essentially crafting an argument for letting Iran off the hook. Now, we know that all the attacks on shipping, all the attacks uh, and, and would-be attacks on our ships, on, uh, on cargo vessels, uh, the attack on Tower 22, we know that all of this is is Iranian proxy groups. We know that Hezbollah and Hamas fighting with Israel, backed by Iran. We know that these groups uh, are funded by Iran. They are armed by Iran. They use Iranian-built drones. We, we, we know this. But just yesterday, they were putting out the idea that these groups had gone rogue, that the groups attacking and and supporting attacks might not have been under the full control of Tehran. I could see Tehran saying that. That sounds like a very defense lawyer thing to say, right? But it's very weird to have an American president or at least his administration floating that idea and it and it lends credence to the idea that they are very invested in a certain way of thinking about Iran based on the Iran nuclear deal, based on giving them back the money. Um, and, and and it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this at the moment. I don't think we know. I don't think anybody can say with certainty they know if this was successful or they know what's coming next. Uh, but you can also kind of project all this, and again, it's ongoing and there may be more strikes. If you kind of listen to the tone and the tenor of the of politics in the world right now, there's a lot of talk about, a world war. We had the comments from NATO the other day. The I, I read an article about how the acting defense minister in Great Britain gave a speech in which he said that uh, this is a pre-war generation. We're not in the post-war. We're not in the post-Cold War or post-war World War II, that this is pre-war. And, of course, a lot of people say these times that we live in feel like the 1930s. We've got war raging in Ukraine and raging in the Middle East. You have new nations joining NATO. You have, just yesterday, uh, talk in European capitals about spending more uh, money on their defense budgets. And, and that's partly, by the way, because they're anticipating possibly Trump returning to the presidency, and he's going to rattle their cage and tell them they have to do that. But all of this makes me think that... Um, 
they're kind of wheels within wheels here. And while I don't want us to let the death of those three go um, unanswered, um, I, I think we have to start at some point asking the question, are we just responding to the attack on Tower 22, or do we have a plan? Is this leaving us in a better place? Is this going to degrade the ability to uh, you know, disrupt shipping? We talked about this, uh, I think, last week. The shipping that goes through that part of the world is so important to everything you buy, every product, almost every product and product segment that you buy, that if that shipping was substantially disrupted by piracy or missile attacks or drone attacks, you'd feel it. You'd know it. Um, and that doesn't even start to talk about like oil and other things, but just, just the consumer products that come through that part of the world and the nexus that, that, that represents to global, uh, shipping. And we've taken for granted for such a long time. Uh, this is something that, uh, we talked about even last year with, um, that book, The End of the World is Just the Beginning, that was so talked about. The, the author makes the point that um, we got so used to safe global shipping lanes, those those big, huge, slow-moving cargo container ships, you know, that are just piled up with cargo containers that look like they, they can't even stay afloat. There's so many of them, and they only go about three knots an hour, and they they traverse all of the waterways of the world with the assumption that they will be safe because the U.S. Navy guarantees global shipping lanes, and that's coming to an end. That guarantee is starting to go away, and we're sitting here absorbing all these attacks in the Red Sea and the Straits of Hormuz. So that's changing. And by the time you realize it's changed, uh, or or I should say by the time... time, um, it's changed, we will, it will be too late to do anything about it. You know, we will already be absorbing scarcity, higher prices. So those are some of the things I'm kind of thinking about right now. And again, this is in the first, this is all in pencil, obviously, and this is in the first hour of, of what's uh, of what's happening. Some 85 targets uh, in uh, Syria and Iraq. Uh, these are targets that were hit with a variety of assets, including, we're told, B-1s that flew from the United States and used smart munitions uh, on targets that were selected for their connection to or their uh, relevance to these Iranian proxy forces that have been attacking uh, shipping in that region for months and that attacked with a drone that uh, that somehow got through our defenses uh, and hit the so-called Tower 22 uh, facility, killing three Americans and injuring 40. Uh, James Carafano, Heritage Foundation, is back with us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. I know this is all very early, uh, but do you see this as mostly retaliatory, or do you think there might have been, or do you, do you have some hope that there might have been some actual degrading of those uh, proxy forces and those capabilities uh, because certainly uh, we all want the, the, the response. We all uh, feel for the, the, the loss of those troops, but you'd like to think that you could also change the, 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 the picture in that part of the world, right? I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, think, I think we lost this round before we got up to that. And, and I'll tell you the day I think we lost it when 
they got up and said, oh, yeah, we're going to retaliate at a time and a place of our choosing, and that sounds mm-hmm. super scary and everything. But then they said, but we don't want a war with Iran. So what you just telegraphed there is you're definitely mm-hmm. not going to hit Iranian targets. And so what does Iran do? Well, the next thing they come out and go, well, and if America attacks us, you know, we will burn them to the ground. Of course, of course they can trumpet up their chest because mm-hmm. they know that we're not going to attack them. And so what we did is we not only did we, you know, we signaled that we're not going to go after anything the Iranians really value. And that literally was, oh, okay, so you're going to kill a bunch of surrogates. We'll buy new ones. But we don't, we don't take your threat seriously because you didn't really threaten us. The other thing, and so I talked to a lot of people, great experts in the region and stuff, and they go, America is running around all over the place, very proactive. And they go, isn't that great? And I said, no, because all this activity isn't proactive, it's reactive. We're just reacting to things. We're not setting the, the agenda. We're not getting their mm. attention. And mm. the other thing is, is why now? I mean, it's been Sleepy Joe for three years. And all of a sudden, we're, we're running around the Middle East. We're doing all this stuff. We're going to get a two-state solution. We're going to normalize things with Israel. We're going to open up the Red Sea. They, they're not idiots. They go, oh, it's because of the election. So mm-hmm. it's not national interest. It's not mm-hmm. we have an opportunity here. It's not we're taking control of things. It's, my God, we've got to get this stuff calmed down before the election. And they go, oh, you're just playing politics. We get that. What? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said. I uh, also wonder, what are your thoughts about the five days during which uh, we were telegraphing or they were telegraphing uh, targets and it's coming, it's coming? I mean, w- would you, would they have even left people in those buildings or those locations? Well, of course, they don't exactly know the locations you're going to hit, but it was telling them, hey, you know, if you don't want a lot of casualties, people would be smart and get out of harm's way. So there was that. The other thing is, is, I mean, this is just almost completely humiliating. You attack on a Friday afternoon. Like, everybody knows that's the dead, the deadest news time of the week. Mm-hmm. And the stock market's closed. So mm-hmm. you wait. And, so you're trying to minimize bad news for the week. Bad jobs are 40K. Can't help that. But, you know, stock market ends on a high. Great. So and you know and you know people will argue about this over the weekend they forget about it by Monday. So you're sending all the signals that you're not really serious. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just don't think this is going to move the ball very far. Yeah. Um, it, it had the feeling. I, I'm I'm glad you brought up that it's an election year because you know everywhere we look we see this sort of gathering of loose ends, right? Where, oh, I, I would shut down the border if they'd let me, you know, kind of talk. Right, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It just, it just feels like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it just feels like um, a, a concerted effort to um, convince everybody that, uh, oh, the best is yet to come. Now, w- what will this be, how will this be received by um, say Saudi Arabia or uh, you know uh, Jordan, uh, you know c- countries that we try to work with in that region. What will they think of this? Well, look, you know, at the end of the day, they do recognize that America is the partner of choice, um, but but they're not going to stick their fred- heads out of the foxhole and they're like, "Where's the plan? Like, we're all in. Where's where's the plan? How are you going to deal with Iran?" How are you going to make sure we don't have to go to bed at night worrying about the Iranians coming after us? How are we, 
how are you going to actually deal with the problems of, of Gaza long-term? And, and we don't have a plan. And so they're, they're not going to put, they're not going to commit to anything until we, I don't want to say show them the money, but show them because they got lots of money. They'll spend all the money that, and the answer is, well, you know, just give a bunch of money to the Gazans to rebuild. It's like, no, 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 no. You know, like, there you go. Like, if, if, if we're just going to give these guys a money, bunch of money, we just might, might mm-hmm. as well make a deposit in their Swiss bank accounts, right? Because mm-hmm. we know it's not actually going to rebuild Gaza. So we don't have a plan. And, you know, and we, we said, well, we just, we're just throwing out a wish list. We, we'd like a two-state now. We'd like the Saudis to normalize. We'd like the Iranians to be nice. N- none of this makes sense to any of our, our friends and allies in the region. Something else I kind of found myself wondering about, um, that attack on Tower 22 where they said the drone came in, uh, was mistaken right. for a U.S. drone, therefore right. wasn't stopped. Um, right. Is it possible the Iranians got a hold of a drone from all this, the uh, equipment that we left in Afghanistan in 2021? No, they have plenty of drones of their own and, and very good drone technology. They, they didn't need our stuff. Here's the question, which nobody can answer. I mean, was this, in the spite of all the warnings from the U.S., was this a deliberate effort to kill Americans, or was this just them throwing the rocks over the wall they always do, and we screwed up and let the thing through? Right. And so, you know, in my mind, it doesn't really make a difference. But they're throwing rocks at you. They're bad guys. You know, you should react to that. But there are people in the administration who go, oh, well, maybe they didn't intentionally mean to escalate. You know, maybe they weren't trying really hard to kill us and they just got lucky by accident. So we right. shouldn't. Well, they even floated the argument that maybe these groups are acting as rogue elements, right? They, 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 they came out right. with that yesterday that maybe, maybe Iran doesn't really control these guys. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's all like the, 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 it's Iranian equipment. It, hey, dude, for that matter, it's Chinese, right? The Chinese have given components to and weapons to the Iranians that the Iranians turn around and, and uh, you know, give to the Houthis and Hezbollah and Hamas. So it, the, the Iranians are the bad guys. It's, you, here's the problem for the administration. You cannot give an, ar- an arsonist a gallon of gasoline and a box of matches and then complain was when he sets set fire. Mm. I mean, we have let for three years we've enabled and empowered these guys to ask them to flame but we've given them all the instruments to wreak, wreak havoc in the region. And then when havoc is wrought, we we just sit there and blink. Oh, how could we have known? Yeah. And and look at how wonderful we are, you know, trying to fix this problem. Aren't we great, America? And the answer is no. You you created this disaster. Mm. Um. You know, you know, it's like Chamberlain, you know, allowing Hitler to run wild. If people didn't say, you know, well, let's reelect Chamberlain <laughs> you know, because it's, the, the Nazis are attacking. So, you know, let's, yeah. let's, well, let's I don't think we have the, the <laughs> I don't think we have the clarity. Uh, I don't think there's as much clarity in our world as there was uh, back then. But uh, but I wish there was. And I appreciate your bringing some to us. Uh, as you always do, uh, Jim Carafano at the Heritage Foundation. Really appreciate your time. I know it's a busy day, but thank you. Oh, that's, it's awesome for having me. Thank you so much. All right. U.S. airstrikes on Syria and Iraq. And I don't know about you, but I've never been to those places. But I feel like when I hear that we're striking targets in those countries, 
I wonder to myself, what is left to hit? You know, the last how many administrations in a row have hit those countries? I'm not saying that there aren't people there that deserve it. I'm just saying I, I, I really do question whether sometimes this kind of thing, and I hope and pray I'm wrong about it today, is kind of a show staged for your benefit. Like it's presented to you as we are identifying and hitting these uh, entities that threaten or have attacked, but it also could be, hey, we got to show the American people who pay a lot of money for this state-of-the-art military and this ongoing heavy presence in the Middle East. You know, it's it's we maintain at least one carrier group at all times. We. We got to show them that they're getting some bang for their buck. I'm I'm a cynic about that. I'm not saying that's what's happening here. I'm just telling you that's something I wonder about. And it is, as, as Carafano pointed out, it is an election year, and you you're not a cynic to think, well, uh, why now? Is that is that the why? So two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. There were people who said they wouldn't do this. Just yesterday, I was reading columns columnists who were saying, oh, he'll never. He'll never respond. Um, I, I think I felt like they they definitely would. Um, I just wonder if it was a response designed to look like one or if it really was one. And for that matter, and I think this was a good point the guest made, um, do you respond because they killed three troops or do you respond because in a big-picture sense um, this involves shipping and um wider war and 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 other issues in other words yes you retaliate when they kill our people but and and i'm a big believer in that and i'm not minimizing that uh but i think you need to do more than that 210-599-5555 the the world right now i'm afraid is in the under the control of or in the grasp of uh, people that are playing this like it's a business, you know. I think I think the whole thing with Ukraine is business. Um, I think this might be business, and um, I'm, I'm not, I just don't trust them. I don't trust them not only for their own motives, but I don't trust that they have like a big picture strategic vision for how this is supposed to end up. 210-599-5555. Now, speaking of it being an election year, have you noticed the, there's a very subtle change in the coverage of illegal immigration right now? Um, they're saying that the, the numbers uh, of official encounters are coming down, that there's a dramatic decrease in illegal aliens crossing the southern border. And the reason is that's given is that uh, Biden and Mexico are talking and Mexico is helping and diverting people away from the border, would-be illegal immigrants away from the border. Let, let's just say for the moment, that that might be what's happening. I wonder if that's happening because it's an election year, 
Because Biden and AMLO are simpatico. Okay, these are two leftist administrations. Obviously, the Mexican administration much prefers Biden to Trump, greatly. Is Mexico helping Biden look good on the immigration issue? I mean, I hate to think that people could be fooled by a few good months of reduced numbers. And certainly, with what we were talking about yesterday, the reality of illegal immigration has finally been brought home to every nook and cranny of this country uh, so that it's no longer a regional problem or a border state thing. We don't even say border states anymore because illegal immigration is happening, is impacting all the states. So I I would hate to think that this would work, and that's why I don't know if it's what's happening, but I wonder if this is what they're doing. They basically said that the Biden administration essentially said to the the uh, the current Mexican administration, hey, you know, you don't want this other guy to come back. Uh, help us look good, just for a while. We just need to get through the next, you know, six to eight months, and then um, you can go back to doing whatever you're doing before. And we told you yesterday, the New York Times even reported that um, illegal immigrants are telling them that they are surging to the border because they know in this administration they can stay. So the word is out. I think the word is out in a lot of things. I I think people around the world are reading us in ways that are not very complimentary but maybe accurate. 210-599-5555. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Talk about uh, these uh, strikes today that are we are told just the beginning of more to come. Uh, the president made a statement. The defense secretary made a statement. There will be more. Um, I saw a story today about um, a Denny's in Oakland, California, that closed. It had been there for 54 years in Oakland. They closed it. And they closed it because there is so much crime around the restaurant that people aren't coming there anymore. And People in the neighborhood don't want to work there anymore. They'll be offered positions at other Denny's as those positions become available. Denny's offers its heartfelt thanks to the team members and the local community for their love of the brand. It's been our pleasure serving you, they said in a statement. This is significant because it's the first time in Denny's history that it's closed a location for this reason. And, you know, yesterday we were talking about the closure of that Walgreens in Boston, which Ayanna Presley, the congresswoman from the district, said was racist. And when you say that, when you just throw that out there, you're basically closing off the discussion that you've rendered the verdict, you've your judge and the jury and executioner, there's nothing more to say. Well... If you care about the people of your community, you should care about the conditions that led to the decision, not care about making yourself look good and virtuous by labeling it racism. And people in, for example, they interviewed a guy who was a loss prevention supervisor for Walgreens somewhere in the Midwest, 
Uh, and he said the same thing we were saying yesterday. Um, if a store closes, it's a, that's an extremely that that's like the the last resort. That means you've tried everything else. You're losing too much merchandise, and you you can't. There's nothing else you can do. You've tried everything else. You've put a loss prevention person at the door. You've put in cameras. Maybe you've locked some stuff up. He says by the time they close a location, and he's talking not only about his own company or the company he used to work for, Walgreens, but any of these, CVS, Target, Walmart, by the time you close a location, it means a bunch of things have been tried and failed. And uh, I think if you if you just chalk it up to racism, you're, what you're saying is don't bother me with the facts. Don't bother me with the reasons. I don't want to help with this. 210-599-5555. So we've got a lot to get into here, plus your votes in today's JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery. Uh, Robert is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Hi, Robert. Hello. Good afternoon. Uh, I just want to point out there's no such thing as coincidence. The, uh, the, the, if I recall, a couple of days ago, uh, Iran notified their headquarters or evacuated their headquarters uh, or one of their headquarters in, in Syria or, or somewhere over the Jordan, maybe. But they were told to evacuate. Um, then, you know, we do this bombing a few days later. I swear I would bet money that we telegraphed, back-channeled our target list. So that they, we weren't going to hit Iran, so we told Iran where we were going to hit so that they could get their people out. I will bet money on Well, that. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's believable because if you keep saying we don't want a war with Iran, but we're going to attack installations where there are Iranian commanders, um, why wouldn't you warn them, right? You're saying we don't want to start anything with you guys. So why wouldn't you so make sure they're not in the building? So we'll just take out your empty. Yeah, we'll just take out your empty buildings. Well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like this might have been. This feels like an air show that was staged for the American taxpayer more than. And God, I hope I'm wrong about this. I really do. But it, it just looks like something that was staged for the appearance of it rather than the effect of it. Five days later. Five days. Uh, yeah. Five and a lot days. of talk. Yeah. Any 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 other president that wanted to you know, project strength and say no more would have done it the next day. Mm-hmm. Those, these packages mm-hmm. would have been delivered mm-hmm. the very next day, if not that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Well said, Robert. I had a had a gentleman email me, and he was very explicit. Don't don't use my name. Don't refer to my experience. It's, I'll just say he has served our country. Anyway, he he wrote to me, and his point was. Um, when you guys talk about this stuff, you sometimes forget to mention, or maybe you don't know, that there's all kinds of attack packages on the shelf, quote-unquote, not really a shelf. But they, 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 in other words, to Robert's point, they've got, you know, plan X34 ready to go, and if you if you wanted to do it the day after the Tower 22 attack, you could. It's there. It doesn't take time to... It's not like they had to figure it out, draw it up, and get a map and all that. It's They have it, and that makes sense. I believe that. I think he's right about that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I can't prove any of this, and I'm not asking you to agree with me, but five days, a lot of talk, mentioning targets, uh, saying we really don't want to start a war with uh, the IRGC. It's almost like saying, hey, IRGC, 
don't be there when we come, and we're coming. And I, I mentioned Reagan yesterday, and you know, no one should ever do the whole, if he was president, this is what he would do right now. But when you think about his presidency and you think about his response to something like the, the, um, the Libyans attacking that disco in West Germany, very quick, the talk comes after the attack, um, element of surprise. You know, Reagan had that kind of cowboy, uh, he, he kind of cultivated that hot-headed, you don't know what this guy will do, he's a cowboy uh, motif. And we, we, really, we really came to find out during his presidency, and especially after his presidency, that he was really a peacemaker, that he really was a very, very reluctant warrior, uh, and that his entire outlook on the Cold War was to make sure it didn't turn into an actual war or a nuclear exchange, very much uh, geared to not having that happen. He felt that we had gotten too pessimistic or, uh, you know, end time-ish about that stuff, and it, it, he wanted his legacy to be there won't be mushroom clouds, there won't be an accidental uh, exchange. But the way he achieved that was he let the bad actors think that he was trigger happy. Say what you want about Trump, but he had some of that too. They, they did not know what he would do because he was apt to do the things you weren't supposed to do that aren't the normal things, uh, that aren't the following the usual paths. And Biden is the opposite of that. You know, everything is derivative. Everything is um, basically boilerplate. And even the way they talk about it. Uh, you can join the show at 210-599-5555. The uh, story over this past week has been kind of the escalation of the border standoff between... Um, it's funny, you know, we used to think that the border was a standoff between us and the illegal immigrants, but now the border standoff is actually Texas and the Biden administration. The illegal immigrants are now just like supporting players, you know, just like guest guest uh, guest characters in the in this week's episode. But of course, the other big story that has shouldered itself into the discussion is these airstrikes uh, in the Middle East. And again, if you're just tuning in and you've missed this, this is all very new in the last couple of hours. Uh, Reportedly, this is what the DOD says, 85 targets, uh, smart munitions, variety of different platforms, including B-1s that that flew all the way from the United States uh, to attack targets in Syria and Iraq that included... We're saying IRGC uh, targets and command and control, and this is to degrade their ability to attack shipping and attack U.S. forces and to retaliate for the attack on the facility that killed three Americans and injured 40. Uh, Liliana is next to 210-599-5555. Liliana, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, let me say the DOD that I went with Operation Servers since they killed three of our service members. We should have picked up the top three leading generals in Iran and hit them with the R-9X missile, or bomb, the ninja bomb as it's called. And that would have sent a clear message. If you kill an American, we will decapitate your heads of state. Mm. 
Well, you're not going to get that from the administration that says we don't want a war with Iran, right? Well, this one started a war. This is just saying, hey, you kill any of our people, we're going to shoot a blender at you. Yeah. Well, they're but but they're obviously not. Th- these aren't the people that would do that. that and that's what's going to make Iran bolster in the region, rally everybody up against, and you will see a attack, another attack coming. Yeah, I have the feeling that a lot of the stuff we do that we think is an answer to terrorism uh, is really an, an incentive to terrorism because it's we don't like look at it. Drugs. Well, yeah, we don't we don't look at it. I think the way that that they look at it. So, like, and I, I learned this from uh, that great. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this many times before in the show, Liliana. Thank you. Uh, there's a great book called The Looming Tower. By Lawrence Wright, it came out a few years after 9/11. It's about Islamist terrorism and the long history of it, much longer than most people give credit. And one of the things he says in the book, I'm paraphrasing, is that when Western powers, the United States, the UK, NATO, you know, coalition of the willing, when Western powers uh, kill uh, Arabs. That just proves the point that the Islamists have been making on the Arab street. See, they think we're, they kill us like we're dogs. They think we're subhuman. They uh, kill, maim without uh, distinction. They don't respect you. They are the reason you're poor. They are the reason you're miserable. They're the reason your economy is in the seventh century. They're the reason your country doesn't have any tech or published books or anything like you would see in the 20th century or 21st century. So while we think we're responding and degrading their capabilities or, or maybe maybe causing them to rethink attacking us, and, and, and I understand why we would think that, and you do too, right? But on their end of it, it's like, see, this is what the West does. They, they go up there and they fly their big shiny planes uh, at a high altitude, they drop a bunch of stuff. They don't care who it kills. Now it's drones, and they'll kill you know thirty or forty people to get one targeted terrorist. It is not. I'm not. I'm not taking their side. I'm just saying it enables the Islamists to continually replenish their ranks, to continually propagandize their young men. And it, it 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 just feeds the beast. You know, it, it 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 perpetuates the cycle. I am not advocating for surrender, but we've got to figure out a way to do this that is not so damn useful to them. We've got war between Russia and Ukraine. We've got war between Israel and Hamas. China is uh, you know rattling the saber sabers. Um, and uh, we get daily warnings uh, from our government about everything from, uh, you know, hacking to cyber terrorism uh, and terrorists potentially sneaking across the southern border. They're worried about homegrown terrorists. They're worried that, you know, parents that go to school board meetings or people that are Christian uh, are going to overthrow the government. Um, and so there's there's a lot of pearl clutching about a lot of things. Uh, 
you wonder how much more effective we could be if we cut all the bull and concentrated on what's really a threat. You know, the people that disagree with you politically, no. Parents that don't like the books in the schools or the curriculum in the school, no. Uh, People that are against abortion, no. And then as we look around the world, I understand that we're a, a stabilizing force, and we talked about the sea lanes, but you, even then you have to prioritize. And when you have a modern military that does pronoun workshops and, you know, has DEI commands, I, it just, it, these don't feel like serious people. I was thinking about this during the break, you know, We've got a lot of people listening who served in the Persian Gulf War, who served in Afghanistan, who served in Iraq. And um, you served under the previous administrations, whether it was Clinton or Bush. or I'm just curious, if you served in that theater, in that region... What do you think of this today and the way it was done and the way it was talked about before it was done? And, and I, I mean, I'm not limiting who calls in to just people that serve, but I, I'd like to issue that special invitation. If you feel like talking about it, maybe you don't. Maybe you're tired of it. Maybe you're sick of it. Maybe you're sick, sickened by it. Uh, but I, I, I just wonder how this looks. Um, I didn't serve, and I'm not entitled to have the same kind of opinion, but it's uh, it's discouraging to see the people who are in charge in charge. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, because say what you will, we've always had the military-industrial complex. That's always been a thing. No, no administration has been perfect. But, boy, I'd, I'd take Rumsfeld back right now, you know? Like, if, if, if we could... If we could reanimate Rumsfeld or somebody like him, I'd take him back in a heartbeat. I, I know, again, I know there was a lot of, but I'm just saying, compared to the, the people in charge right now, I know there's been a lot of um, water over the dam about George W. Bush, and a lot of people have changed their mind and not in a very positive way about George W. Bush. I'd take him back right now. Uh, I, I just, these are not the people we need in this moment. And it just goes to show again that when you allow distractions and, and non-issues and stupid stuff like aesthetics to dictate how you vote, um, you're apt to wind up with the wrong man for the moment. Like I'm looking at all these polls right now, and I'm not I'm not leaving the topic of the attacks uh, in Syria, but I'm looking at all these polls on the presidential race, and I'm with you that you can't really believe them, and you can't put too much stock in them, and they're not news; they're pure speculation. But let me just tell you, across many many polls, there's an interesting trend. Donald Trump is getting. More black voters, more Hispanic voters, more young voters. 
than any Republican candidate in, in memory, in recent memory. But you know who might save Biden's presidency? You know who might reelect him? The women's vote. He's winning the women's vote. Every, in every poll I've looked at, he's winning it. And is he really winning it, or is it that Trump is losing it? And is Trump losing the women's vote because even though women are just as aware as men of unsafe streets and a crap economy and the world on fire, is there an aesthetic problem with Trump? Is there a, he's, he's not a good person, he's, I wouldn't trust him thing, and so it defaults to Biden? Wouldn't it be interesting if Biden loses all this ground with traditional Democratic voters, black voters, Hispanic voters, uh, you know, young voters, and then wins it on the strength of the of the the gender gap? You know, we used to talk about the gender gap, right? And it's it's back. The soccer moms, the suburban women. That's all back. He's he is again. It, maybe you don't believe these. I'm I'm not putting a hundred percent faith in them. Just it seems to be a pattern. It seems to be doing very well with them. Well over fifty percent support. You can't find any other group or breakout or demographic breakout where he does so well. White women. They're going to stick with Biden. So let me play this for you first, and then we're going to talk to Jay Avila. This is his report from News 4 San Antonio about a new, relatively new city ordinance that uh, makes it harder to demolish abandoned houses and buildings. Take a listen to this. People living around this house in the Monta Vista Terrace neighborhood say they've been trying to get the city to demolish it for years. But it burned to the ground while they were still working through delays, which they say put the entire neighborhood at risk. Neighbors say the home sat empty after the owner died four years ago, and it became a magnet for the homeless and drug users. It was constantly being broken into, not secured. Uh, There was a fire. There was actually a gentleman, a body that was found from a gentleman who OD'd. Finally, the Building Standards Board declared the home a safety threat and ordered it demolished. You have the right to demolish yourself. If it's not demolished in 30 days, the city will do so. That was last March. The city said 30 days, and we're now almost a year out, and nothing has happened. That house next to it is not safe. Last month, the home caught fire again on a windy night, and neighbors were worried it might spread to other houses. Neighboring houses were put in danger that the firefighters had to risk their lives. They had to go in to see if there was anybody in there. All of this, as a taxpayer, I'm furious. So why wasn't the home demolished? We learned the house was subject to a city ordinance that required it to be deconstructed instead. And what is deconstruction? The city has an animated video on its website that explains the owner must pay for parts of the home to be salvaged so they don't end up being thrown in a landfill. That's equivalent to driving your car nearly 93,000 miles or almost four times around the world in greenhouse gas emissions. It destroys ecosystems. 
The city says salvaged materials can be sold or donated for use in other projects. But we spoke to a company that does deconstruction, which told us the process doubles the cost to the property owner. We went to ask the city about that. Doesn't deconstruction take longer and cost more than demolishing home? I think we can find examples that that's true uh, in general, uh, but I think overall the benefit, the overall benefit I think is there. Uh, that's something that we want to balance. The city says the owner of the house is to blame for the delay because they didn't follow through on getting the required permits for the deconstruction. And after last month's fire, it no longer qualified, so it was demolished. The owner did not want to comment for this story. The city claims it's done 29 deconstructions so far and salvaged 15 tons of construction waste. Certainly, we'll look at this particular event and see if there's any ways that we can make it done uh, you know, quicker by the owner. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think the deconstruction ordinance is making it any less safe. Unfortunately, that ordinance, it's backfired. For the News 4 I-Team, I'm Jay Avila. And Jay Avila from News 4 San Antonio is joining us now on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. By the way, I think the best part of the story, Jay, is the sad squirrel in the, uh, that make you sad? Yeah. In the City Hall cartoon about deconstruction. Um, yeah. It's yeah I, I, this is so crazy because I would think any savings on the carbon footprint probably were lost when the house was on fire, right? You, you would think so. There's so many uh, things that don't add up about this ordinance. It was passed in September of 2022, and um, it was pushed by the Office of Historic Preservation, um, but they didn't want to talk about it to me, and so I had to go to – that was the uh, development services director for the city. He kind of had to uh, talk about the ordinance with me. Um, but at the time, the council members just thought it was a great idea um, and they estimated in their in the testimony, uh, the Office of Historic Preservation estimated, well, this will maybe add, uh, you know, a couple thousand dollars to the cost for the property owner. But the reality is that one of the guys who does the reconstructions on these said it uh, it costs twice as much. Mm. Well, I mean, it would have to. I mean, if you're if you're dismantling it piece by piece with the idea uh, this material goes here and that material goes there versus knocking it down. I, I mean, it just common sense would tell you. I, the thing that, that's, that's obviously compelling here is that um, eventually this is going to get somebody hurt or killed or result in somebody else's house catching fire. It's, 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 clearly, it's clearly a very dangerous thing to make as, as the rule. Well, that's what the, the neighbors were afraid of. They first contacted me because the house burned down on January 13th, and they had already been waiting almost a year after a 30-day demolition order had been given. Now, prior to that, um, there had been 52 police calls to that house in just two years. It was uh, mostly for uh, drugs, burglary in progress, uh, wanted person. There had been a fire already in the house, and as she had described in the story, um, a dead body found in the house. So it was really a lot of drug activity and the neighborhood unlivable and more dangerous. Have you heard from anyone uh, on city council about revisiting this terrible decision or are they on to other things? 
Well, um, no, I haven't. I've got to uh, – that's one of the things I plan on doing is checking in with um, – everyone voted for it except for Clayton Perry, who I did speak to about it um, at the time. He, he predicted pretty much. He said, this sounds like this is going to um, cost more and take more time for people, for property owners, make it difficult for them to demo a house. A lot of times this falls on families who've had uh, an older loved one pass away, and they've got to figure out what to do with uh, – a house. And so um, the more that this, I think, ordinance proves problematic in terms of not being practical, I think the more that um, the council members are going to defend it or maybe rethink it. Well, and, you know, you could also kind of see where this would fall. This, this, the burden of deconstruction is going to fall disproportionately on older neighborhoods with older housing stock translation probably lower income neighborhoods and homeowners in other words in their zeal to be progressive they've made life hardest for the very people progressives always claim to be championing it certainly sounds that way they when they were also another thing is that when they were pushing for this in the city council meeting they said we are going to generate money from the materials that are salvaged and they're going to pay and make up the difference for mm. these property owners. But the mm. reality is that the uh, the no. guy who did the, does the construction, he said, there's just no infrastructure. Nobody's interested in buying that stuff. And you can't reuse lumber structurally anyway. So it's basically doors and yeah. things like that. Yeah. No, that's, that sounds like a pipe dream. Well, it's a great report, and I'm really glad you did it. And we'll be following to see what else uh, comes uh, from what you exposed. But, uh, Jay Avila, always appreciate your time and your work. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. All right, 528 on San Antonio's 550 and 1071 KTSA. Did you hear this? They're not going to charge. There will be no charges for that uh, Democratic uh, senatorial uh, staffer. He he worked for um, Ben Cardin, who's a uh, senator from, uh, I think, Maryland. I may be wrong about that, but I think I think Senator Cardin is from Maryland. Um Remember the story of the two guys uh, having sex in the committee room? And um, they made a video and it leaked or was posted. It was investigated by the Capitol Police. They have looked into it. In in the interim uh, period, the staffer who filmed himself... uh, was asked to resign and resign from Senator Cardin's staff. He and the other man were not cooperative with the Capitol Police, uh, resting on their Fifth Amendment rights, and I think resting on their elbows, too. So um, the Capitol Police put a statement saying, we're closing the investigation, uh, and there will be, after consulting with federal and local prosecutors, It was determined that despite a likely violation of congressional policy, there is currently no evidence that a crime was committed. Can't help but uh, juxtapose the, um, shall we say, unauthorized use of the committee room with the... um, January 6th festivities. I mean, they're putting people under the jail for putting their feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. 
These guys did a little more than that. I guess the bottom line is um, do not do this. Do not even try this unless you're a Democrat and there's a Democratic administration. Otherwise, don't do it. It's a very bad thing to do. You shouldn't do it. Not use the committee room for that reason. If if uh, anyone is going to get effed in Washington, it's the American taxpayer. Okay, let's keep that straight. Uh, can't, can't, sir, caravans, convoys of uh, people supporting uh, Texas and Texas's efforts to enforce the border and to stand up to the Biden administration about the border. Uh, and one of the organizers of one of these groups is joining us right now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Scott Sachs is with us. Scott, thank you for coming on, uh, and good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jack. So tell me a little bit, before we get into this issue, like, where are you coming from on this? Like, what do you do for a day job, and what got you involved or interested in this? How did you get involved in this, uh, this, you know, sort of convoy movement? Sure. Well, interestingly enough, I've been in uh, media for four years. I've been on every side of the industry. I've produced TV programs, syndicated TV and radio programming, and I currently host a radio show called Sovereign Radio, in five, uh, four Texas markets and in San Diego, where I'm currently speaking to them. So I got involved uh, with a group of uh, small group of friends. We realized uh, from my interviews on my radio show with uh, Colonel Pete, uh, retired Colonel uh, John Mills, uh, Colonel Pete Chambers, former border agent uh, Victor Avila, great, great patriot uh, who's worked on the border for ICE, that we have a national security threat. When you look at the, uh, I'm going to say tens of thousands, there's probably more than that, it's probably hundreds of thousands, but simply put, tens of thousands of military-age men that are coming across that border that uh, are from 160 countries, according to the border agents, we have a national security threat. It's an existential threat. To our country, uh, what happened in 2020 in cities, uh, particularly on the West Coast, with uh, BLM and Antifa, uh, the cities of, of Portland and Seattle that were burned to the ground in some cases, businesses destroyed. These uh, good military men tell me that pales in, in comparison to what potentially could happen in terms of terrorist attacks. And uh, these immigrants that are here over the border flooding our country, not to mention, Jack, the human trafficking. The United States is now not proudly the number one hub for human trafficking because of our open borders. And we've had more fentanyl uh, kill Americans in the last couple of years than in the previous 20. So we got involved because open borders uh, can mean the end of the United States. You know, the, we leave these border open. Borders open a couple more years. Already an estimated 10 to 12 million, uh, I'll call them illegal aliens. You can call them immigrants. We love, by the way, our group loves immigrants. We all come from immigrant parents and grandparents. And it's not about uh, shutting down immigration. It's about mm -hmm. doing it in an organized, legal way so we know who's coming into our country. We can keep tabs on the people who want to come here for a better life. And we're not doing that. We're just letting them come over. Uh, Willy-nilly, they're uh, being shipped, bus, plane all over the United States, and um, 
it's really sad what's happening on the border with the kids. I've been down there. Right. The children are being trafficked in, in, in droves. When you look at this, and you obviously have, and you spent a lot of time on it, I'm curious, when do you think we went from a country where both political parties more or less thought it was important to enforce the border? You, you know, you've got all these clips of leading Democrats, including Biden when he's in the Senate, uh, we got to protect American jobs. We've got to t- protect American communities. You've got to come into the country the right way. When did it go from that to where the parties had slight differences with how to do it to the Democratic Party coming under the control of people who really seemed to embrace the, the sort of great replacement theory uh, when it comes to the southern border? What was the turning point? You know, it's a great question. I think the turning point uh, evolved, uh, and I would go so far as saying we have a uniparty in Washington when it comes to many issues. The the Democrats and the so-called rhinos that vote in lockstep, uh, I don't see anybody on either side of the aisle too concerned about the open borders. They would have done something, at least the elected uh, Republicans in California, Arizona, and Texas, where we're having our three peaceful assemblies tomorrow and they are peaceful assemblies don't believe any of the uh, media on the left the the wired magazines um some of the um online uh, rags i call them that have said we're uh, we're a bunch of militia we're christo fascists we're um white nationalists we're a group of right. we the people americans and uh where this turned i'd say uh it turned uh the wrong way when uh the Biden administration took control of the borders. That's when it turned. Clearly, Trump had the borders under control. So if we're talking about the border issue, why we created these convoys to go to these three cities and do rallies, uh, it, it all happened uh, when the Biden administration stepped into Washington. See, that's when this turned south. Mm-hmm. I think you could also say Obama seemed to redefine the illegal immigrant as if he or she was part of the civil rights movement. He conflated people that were were not Americans with being part of a historic struggle by Americans just to have equal rights. And, of course, Republicans get very scared when stuff like that's brought up. They they quickly virtue signal and, yeah, we're not racist. And, we're, we, yeah, you know, we... And, and I even even when you and I are talking about this, it's hard to separate out the discussion of the military-age men and the ominous significance of that. We've never seen anything like this. We've never seen a, a pattern like this before from the teeming masses of you know families and children. And So not that you don't want to talk about that, but you almost have to set that aside and go, hey, first and foremost, there's a model here, there's a type of, of illegal immigrant that we've we've never seen in in such organized concentrated numbers before this looks intentional this doesn't look like oh it's just chaos in the world and you know bad, like the democrats like to say oh well these are just people fleeing bad situations Th- these guys are are coming over in a very organized way it seems to me indeed you make a couple good points uh, obama did change the rhetoric although he kept the borders closed he didn't open borders to any kind of uh, free-for-all that we have now. Um, Mm -hmm. Indeed, uh, it is organized. Um, We know it's organized because these people are being paid. Uh, We've done some work on the border, have some uh, 
jur good journalists that uh, have videos online talking to the immigrants, admitting they're getting debit cards, they're getting telephones, um, they're being housed in hotels near the border in San Diego, uh, near near just just a mile from where my daughter lives uh, with her mother. There is a hotel with these military age men, and they're being housed there. And uh, I believe, Jack, this is the hill to die on. If we don't close our borders, we're not going to have a country. It's beyond organized. Uh, you know, the, the, those who don't want to admit there's a global uh, group, there's a global call. They call themselves the elite that want to see this country destroyed on the, their one world government agenda. And that's what it is. They want to run the world from a central government. And they got to take America down to do that. George Bush Sr., George Bush Jr., Bill Clinton, Joe Biden all use the term uh, um, New World Order. And if you read Agenda, uh, the U.N. works, but the U.N. publishes on their own website, uh, that New World Order, part of Agenda 30, is a one-world government. Uh, and Klaus Schwab would love to see us uh, controlled through central, central bank digital currencies living in small, uh, they call them 15-minute right, right. cities. And this well, is a good way to start the process, to, to flood our country with all these people. I heard you say a, a couple of minutes ago, you know, if this continues in the next couple of years, do you have optimism that, for example, if Trump gets back in, is it is is there still time to reverse this, or are there already so many people in this country that even if he did everything he's saying he would do with the best of intentions, there's just too many people here? It's a great question. Uh, I am more than optimistic. I'm, a, I'm beyond the glasses half full. I believe uh, it is inevitable that Trump will be back. I talked to Tom Homan a few weeks ago at an event we were at together, and I asked him, uh, Tom, how long will it really take? Trump says he can turn around in a day. Yeah, he can close the border in 24 hours, but he can't turn the, the problem, the faucet off uh, in a day. Homan says it will take six to nine months to round up these illegals. Those are here not for a better life or to flee uh, unfortunate circumstances. The ones who were brought here, uh, it would take six to nine months. So I think if, uh, if we do wait till November for uh, the Trump win and he's back in January, ostensibly in January of 2025, we're looking at uh, the better part of 2025 to clean up the problem. Mm. It's a long time from now, and if those borders stay open, yep. um, you know, Tom Homan was very, very clear, I can't do this. Don't listen to the 30, 60, 90 day. It can't happen. It's going to take right. to nine months. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it always, always takes longer. Everything in government takes longer than they think. Uh, Scott Sachs, great Amen. to talk to you. Great. Uh, keep up the great work, and uh, appreciate your coming on with us uh, today. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. All righty. It's uh, 546 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. I, you know, I, it's it's interesting to me, um, and this is something I feel encouraged by, uh, when I was thinking about these convoys that are forming up, and some of them are coming here and some of them are just having rallies and meetings and stuff like that, you probably think when you hear that, and maybe maybe that's something that you like and you support but you're not doing it you know that's not that's not for you and i respect that do you ever think about the significance of people 
going to rallies, going to meetings, creating web content, putting their name on things, coming out and saying, this is who I am and this is what I believe. Given what's happened in the last several years, again, to the parents that went to school board meetings, what's more Rockwellian than a parent, you know, after dinner, instead of watching television, putting on her coat, getting in the car, going to the school board meeting, tired, really would like to just get go to bed or or relax, but 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 caring enough about you know representative government to go to the meeting, speak up, people that have never spoken into a microphone, people that have never been on television, challenging their school boards, uh, people you know showing up and having prayer vigils for uh, right to life. I am incredibly encouraged that people are doing these things given how much uh, backlash and persecution there has been. And I'm not talking now about these, I'm not talking about riots, I'm not talking about destruction. I'm talking about people that are exercising their, their First Amendment rights. They're doing the, the quintessential American thing. And you can say, well, we've always had people like this, Jack, and it's true, we have. But we've also never treated people who do this, the way this administration and this Department of Justice and this FBI and these politicians and this media structure are treating people like that today. We're not putting them in paintings and on the covers of magazines. We're not saying how how much this reminds us of the old town meetings of the 18th century. No, we're demonizing these people. How dare they take an interest in their local schools or their children, or their community, or their safety. I'm more impressed than ever that people are still doing it, and I'm impressed and encouraged that people are still doing it. I think in recent weeks we've said um, Hertz is selling off 40% of their EV fleet, uh, replacing those uh, electric vehicles with gas engine vehicles. Uh, Ford has slashed production of the electric F-150 Lightning, there was a story the other day about how Renault, the French automaker, was going to do an IPO of a new division. They were going to form an electric car division, and they canceled the IPO, which is always very embarrassing. Uh, Tesla's had slower uh, and lower growth uh, this year. And I was reading in the Wall Street Journal, Volvo has decided to cut funding to a venture called Polestar. Volvo's owned by a Chinese car company now. We think of it as a Swedish automaker. It's owned by the Chinese. And they they started this uh, standalone brand called Polestar uh, with EVs. So separate from Volvo's in-house EVs, there were these Polestar. They're high-end, high-tech um, electric vehicles. Uh, they did a... a a NASDAQ listing, I think, a couple of years ago. The shares have fallen off the shelf. And Volvo's books are being dragged down by their 48% share in Polestar, so they're cutting their funding, they're cutting ties. You know, it's all um, basically correction, I think. They've put all this stuff together at the behest of the politicians, They've pleased, the car companies have pleased the politicians. They've satisfied that that audience, that that customer base. 
But the politicians aren't there, aren't there, aren't the people buying the cars. Now the people buying the cars have stepped up and said, well, we don't want them. We don't want to buy them. We don't want to lease them. We don't want to rent them. We don't want them. The dealers told General Motors the other day, please, we can't, give us hybrids if you want, but we can't, we can't sell these electric cars. It's a correction. Then I saw this story. I, I, th- I thought this was a pretty big deal. I'm not a, an economist, but did you see the, this week where UPS um, announced that they will be laying off 12,000 employees? It sounds kind of alarming. Because when you think about UPS, they're, they're literally in every business. Like, if business is bad for UPS... That's kind of like, you know, a blood test for the economy itself. Uh, it's income for the fourth quarter down compared to a year ago. Revenue down 8% year to year. And uh, they're announcing 12,000 um, layoffs. And they're citing not only a slowdown in the economy, but increased labor costs. Uh, They say because of the union deal that uh, upped the driver's pay, they can't justify having as many many drivers. Seems like that's the kind of thing that should be a very acute warning sign, right? UPS is laying people off. It probably means a lot of things in a lot of different industries. And then I saw this. This was interesting. Um... It's just a little headline from California. They announced a um, $600 million grant to combat homelessness. And that's the kind of thing that it goes in one ear and out the other. It's like a little squib. You hear it, you move on. It's not a very sexy headline. It seems like every day there's huge amounts of money being promised to fight homelessness. Did you ever stop to wonder, what is fighting homelessness? What does that mean, you're fighting homelessness? Where does the $600 million go? I mean, we've, we've allocated so much money to fighting homelessness that if we just gave the people who are homeless the money, they'd probably be better off. You know where I think it goes, and I'm not the first person to say this. I think we have a version of the military-industrial complex when it comes to social issues. I think there's a whole industry of people to absorb the grants we're fighting homelessness. We're fighting drug addiction. We're fight, you know. And and when you say that, you don't have to say what you're doing. You just have to name a bad thing that everyone's against. Everyone's against homelessness. There's no pro homelessness people. So you name a bad thing. You announce an, an insane amount of money, an unimaginable sum of money that you're going to throw at this problem. You never really have to say what you're going to do. And. I'm sure that there are groups that exist and have been formed solely to absorb that money. And we talk about this in other countries, right? They say, oh, if you give aid to these banana republics in the third world, the dictator keeps all the money and the people never get any of it. They're even saying that right about um, in Gaza, right? You send aid over there and the guys live in, in seaside villas and the people get nothing. I think that's happening here. Where does $600 million in homelessness go? How could there still be homelessness? 
we've allocated all this money. Something to think about. Next time you hear a headline like that. Bees and cornbread. Bees and cornbread. Bees and cornbread. Beans and cornbread had a bite. Beans not cornbread out of sight. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'll be ready. Well, looky here. We made it to the end of the week. What a week. Made it to the end of January. We're already in February. Now we got to get through this uh, patch of weather that I guess we're going to get tonight or overnight or some some we'll get. Um, let's hope that uh, it stays mostly north of us. And we're going to talk restaurants in this hour of the show. This is what we do on Fridays. If you're new to our show, uh, on Fridays in the last hour of the last show of the week, we call it The Dish. We've been doing this a very long time. People seem to like it. You can call in and talk about where you went today or this week or recently or a new restaurant you went to or a place that you discovered new to you. Or you can sing the praises of an old favorite that you love and want to tell everybody about any kind of restaurant, any price, any kind of food, any, you know, any part of town or anywhere around South Texas. 210-599-5555. Not a restaurant review. More like uh, how you would tell a friend about it or a coworker about it. What's good there? What should we get when we go? What's the best thing on the menu? What are they known for? Or if things did not go so well, how did things go off the rail when you were there? You can praise or zing. Folks, if I were smart, I'd say thank you and leave. Mm. There you go. Praise or zing at 210 599 5555. You can also email me, jack at ktsa.com. And along the way, we're still taking your votes in the poll question. Will the women's vote save Biden's reelection? And we'll have the results in the JR poll at the end of the hour. See how you voted, yay or nay, on that. Um, we're keeping a weather eye out. We're keeping an eye on the um, U.S. retaliatory strikes in the Middle East that went on this afternoon. If there's any more on that, any new information or briefings, we will have those. Uh, live here on KTSA this hour. So we've got everything in front of us, but we're taking your calls about restaurants now at 210-599-5555. I always get very hungry by this <laughs> by this time of the show. I don't know. Is it because we're talking restaurants or did the tail wag the dog or the dog wag the tail? I don't know. Um, have you heard about the latest thing that they're... Uh, Trying to get you to stop doing. This is the latest thing you're supposed to feel bad about doing. You should not be enjoying it. You ready? You're like, what's left, Jack? What 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 do you got now? I mean, come on, there's nothing left. They've taken everything. What? Here it is. Here it is. You really should not be playing board games. Board games uphold colonial narratives colonization, white privilege. The mechanics of board games reward the exploitation and extraction of people and resources, the conquest of land and territory, the hoarding of goods and treasure. Board games teach us to be Eurocentric 
colonialists. And by the way, the people that are saying this are talking about, uh, you know, all kinds of board games. Probably the ones you like. What do you play? Play Monopoly or... Imagine, imagine how many things there would be to object to in Monopoly. Or how about the game of life? Is there any more capitalist game than the game of life? Right? I mean, good stuff happens, bad stuff happens, you have children, you get married, all these all these Eurocentric, outdated concepts. Snakes and ladders discriminates against differently abled people. I'm not making this up. I'm just, this is what they're saying. Colonial narratives. <laughs> um, hungry, hungry hippos, fat shames. It's easy, right? Once you get rolling, you can do it with every. Just give me a board game. I'll I'll give you the problem with it. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how bad it is. Uh, I'll tell you how it's socially unjust. So yeah, you should really, really be ashamed of yourself if you bring a board game over to a party or you play board games with your kids after supper or something like that. Um, Clue, you know, all kinds of problems with Clue. Stereotypes people. Uh, marginalizes people, prejudges them, right? I think the I think the funny thing about stuff like this is that the people that are saying this stuff always um, they always forget one thing, right? Whether it's whatever it is they're trying to cancel or shame people about, they always forget one thing: we're never doing these things as mindfully as they think we are. These are not fun people. These are not people that can have a good time. Like, you don't want these people at your party. And we we play a board game. We're just kind of half into it, and we're thinking other things, and we're laughing, and we're drinking, and we're having snacks, and we're not... Like, what about Battleship? Remember Battleship? What did that teach children? To, to be warmongers? We're playing Battleship. I used to play Battleship with my dad. And um pretty sure my dad didn't think that he was <laughs> teaching us to be colonizers and warmongers with Battleship. But anyway, that's the latest thing you're supposed to feel bad about. 210-599-5555, praise or zing, your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. Have you, if you've had one you want to talk about. I saw a story about a lady who, um, she went to... I don't know where this was. It wasn't around here, but she went to a chicken salad chick restaurant and she wanted to order um a kids meal and she says that the employee at the restaurant made a face at her and embarrassed her in telling her that you're not supposed to order off the kid's menu unless you have a kid with you. And her point was she wasn't that hungry and she wanted a small serving, so that was perfect for her. And I've heard people do this. I've heard people that have had bariatric surgery. I've heard people that have other health issues. I've heard of people who are just watching their their calories. 
uh, and they will they will say I'm gonna I'm gonna order from the, the kids menu. I'm gonna get a kids meal, and apparently there's all kinds of different reactions to it. There are people that there are restaurants that let you do it, no questions asked, and there are restaurants that will bar you from doing it. And some people make up a little cover story. Oh, my kid's in the car, or I'm bringing it home to a child. And other people are like, no, I should just be able to get this. This is what I want. You sell it. It's on your menu. I'm not asking you for something you don't do. You offer this quantity of food for this price. That's what I want. What do you think about that? I've never done it. I've never done it. I bought kids' meals for my kid, but I never bought a kid's meal for myself. I guess you can tell by looking at me that. But I, I've never understood why that should be any problem for any restaurant at all. Um, and if it became a thing where a lot of people, a lot of your adult customers seem to want the kid's meal, then you could just maybe revisit your menu and your portions and adjust accordingly. Like they're telling you something, aren't they? I don't really see how that should be controversial. I don't think you're wrong to do it. I don't think you should have to make up a a fictional child that you don't have. And um, I think, in fact, I think a lot of restaurants, if they had like half portions or, you know, hey, here's the, 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 the dieters menu or something, I think those would be very popular. Not only for people that are looking at calories, but people are looking at price. What's the problem? What's the explain to me why this is a a problem for restaurants? Why you would look at somebody funny or tell them no? Or I, I don't I don't really get. It. Again, I've never done it, but I can see where people would. And um, apparently, there's some places where it's no big deal, and there are places where it's a very big deal. And uh, incidentally, one question that comes up a lot is: Can restaurants by are restaurants breaking the law if they refuse to sell you the kids' meal? The answer is no. They can they can say no. They're they they're on solid ground if they say, "Sorry, we only serve it to children," or "We can only sell you a kids' meal with the order of an adult meal," or stuff like that. Whatever whatever they say it's within their rights to say it as long as they treat everybody equally they can't only say it to some people or but well it may be legal it just seems like bad business you know i mean why lose the customer completely if he or she only wants half the meal and will pay for half the meal and Michael is on the dish. Happy Friday night, Michael. Happy Friday back to you, Jack. I Thank apologize you. for my voice. I had pneumonia recently, oh my goodness. and I'm struggling oh. to make it back. But I'm still. Oh, I hope you. I hope you feel better I'm soon. I'm still going to vote in November. Of course you are. You'll be better by November. God willing, I hope so. Hey, I was calling in, and it's a little ways away, but uh, it's the restaurant is in Del Rio. And it is uh, Julio's Cantina, I believe. They're at 3,900 U.S. 90, and they're the same family that has the Julio's chips. Oh, okay. And it is really, uh, really great food. 
I uh, I would put it up against anybody here in town. Cool. Uh, is it? Uh, I know a lot of the restaurants in Del Rio are right on uh, the main. Was it ninety? Yes, sir. Right there by the base. So is it right on that? Uh, right on the highway there. Yes, sir. Right as you're going in into Del Rio. Okay, Julio. Yeah, here it is. Thirty nine hundred East US ninety. Del Rio. Well, yeah, that's a little ways away, but you know, if you got to have it, you got to have it. The chips are good. I've had the chips, so that's a good start, right? Yes, sir. Well, Mister Mister Garcia started that business. He was frying the chips in his garage, and he would fill up a cardboard flat that you get like a case of beer, case of coke, and wrap it in plastic. That's how he started. Wow, that is cool. Just a, All right, there you go. If you find yourself in Del Rio. Go check out Julio's on Highway 90. Michael, I hope you feel better, and thank you for calling us tonight. You have a good weekend. You too. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Praise for Julio's in Del Rio on the dish. 210-599-5555. Joyce is on the radio. Happy Friday night, Joyce. Hi. I'm on the good talk you? about... Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to talk about Nolis in Cibolo, right on 78. I think they looked it up and finally found it. <laughs> I had uh, just kind of run across it. I had two of my great-grandkids with me, and one of them had eaten there. And they said, well, let's go there. We were looking for somewhere to go. And it was really good. And just as an aside, I'm almost 85, and they let me order off the kids' menu. <laughs> Very good. Good for you. Yeah. Um, and the, what did you the, have? The What's good of, there? What, what What are you recommending? Well, I, uh, well, they had different things, and I, like I said, I'm old, so I can't remember what they ordered. But I got the spaghetti and meatballs, and it off the kids menu, and it was mm -hmm. definitely as much as I could eat, and probably mm -hmm. extra. So, and and it was really good. And I don't know if you are familiar with the place, but it used to be like. Years ago, Pat's Place South, it's got a, it's kind of in a log cabin-like looking area set back from mm -hmm. 78, and they have a playground for the kids there, and we've, we've gone there as a family for years, just mm -hmm. because the kids can be entertained, and uh, so I was shocked when he said, well, there's a good restaurant, my great-grandson said, there's a good restaurant right up here, let's try there, and yeah. I said, oh, that's Pat's Place, he said, no. It's no leads. And so, so my great-grandson recommended it, and he, he's 12. So, uh, I mean, it's got, got the generational thing going for yeah, it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And the, um, the wait staff was really nice. Everyone was mm -hmm. very nice. And it was a beautiful atmosphere. They had, like, white tablecloths. They've really done a good job there transitioning. That's and, wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. So you'll be going back again, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely, and we'll probably all go as a family, and we're getting bigger and bigger as a family now. Very nice. That's so. very nice. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you went, and I'm glad they let you have the kids' menu because there's a little kid inside all of us, right? Yeah, well, I mean, when you get my age, you can't eat like you used to. I used to enjoy a buffet in Las Vegas, but yeah. it's just too much now, you know. So. When when does that kick in, Joyce? Because I, I'm I'm catching up to you, and I haven't seen that. Reduction in appetite yet. I'm looking forward to, to that. Me, Jack. I know you're not catching up to me. But no. anyway, uh, I I don't know. But just all of a sudden, I was just yeah. like, can't 
can't go to buffets anymore. Yeah. The kids have adjusted to accommodate great grandma. So that's, that's very nice. nice of them. So we usually that's find nice. a sit down place where, and now we've got a place that'll let me order off the kids menu. There you go. I love that. Well, you have a great night, Joyce. Thank you for calling us. Thanks for calling the dish. And yeah, this is a place that, um, we got calls for Noli's Vitae, uh, in New Braunfels starting, uh, back a few years ago. Uh, and this, I'm looking online because I thought that, that same name, it's got to be connected. It, this is their second location. So they have the New Braunfels one, and the one that Joyce is calling about is 170 Buffalo Place in Cibolo. Uh, and people love it. Yeah, we nice calls on it going back to 2021 uh, for both New Braunfels and Cibolo. And Joyce recommends the spaghetti and meatballs. And, yeah, we can talk about the kids' menu thing. Um, I, I'm... You know me. I'm a, I'm a I'm a big fan of people in the restaurant business. I'm I'm your I'm on your side. I I'm with you. I don't really. Maybe I'm missing something. But if if you've got the opportunity to make six dollars from me instead of ten dollars from me, and if you won't sell me the six dollar thing, then I'm probably going to leave, and you'll make zero dollars. Seems like you would sell me the six dollar thing. And I, I, I guess the concern is that they don't want everybody going in and getting the, the, the children's menu items. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not sure that that's anything to worry about. But if, but if people were consistently telling you, I can't finish your entrees, they're way too big, wouldn't you want to know? I mean, wouldn't that be like a, a, a wake-up call to revisit the portion sizes and the design of your menu? It seems like it would be. And I'm not complaining. I mean, it's a nice problem to have when you get more food than you can eat at one sitting. It's nice to have leftovers. It's nice to have it the next day. But, I mean, can we just be honest? Some restaurants, I'm not going to name names. Some restaurants, it's just it's bananas how much they bring out. It's crazy, you know. And, yeah, I mean, if people want to enjoy the cuisine and be there and be with their family like Joyce or they want to, Go with somebody who has an appetite. Let them have the children's menu for crying out loud, right? What's the problem with that? So this lady went to Chicken Salad Chick, and she not here in San Antonio, but somewhere else, and I guess she felt that they looked askew at her for uh, for ordering it. And she says, it's really all I wanted, and it should be acceptable. Talking restaurants right now on the dish. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. And uh, we're talking about all kinds of restaurants all over San Antonio and South Texas. Uh, What's good? What do you recommend? 210-599-5555. I see where Carl Weathers passed away. Did you see that? Carl Weathers was, of course, I guess most people would associate him with Rocky. Uh, and he was in Predator, and he was in The Mandalorian, and um, it's kind of been in a lot. Of, when you start thinking about him, you realize oh, I've seen him in a lot of things. But when you first hear the name, you think Rocky. I guess uh, he was seventy six, um, passed away yesterday, according to his uh, family. 
And um, I think a lot of people may not know, or younger, maybe younger people may not know. Don Cooper, I know you know this. Um, before, before Apollo Creed, before the acting career, before all of this, this guy was a very righteous, very serious uh, football player. Yeah. Played in the NFL. For the Oakland Raiders. Under John, I think John Madden was mm-hmm. his coach. I think so. Uh, played at San Diego State. Um, and um, I, I think that was more of a thing than it is now. Like, if you think about it now, if somebody's been a pro athlete and we see him in a movie, they're just playing themselves. It's a cameo. But I think there was a time when, like, after you finished your playing career, there was the potential to be a stuntman or the potential to be a character actor. And um, he just started doing, after his football career, which didn't last very long, kind of ended, um, he started doing guest shots. He just dabbled, basically. Uh, He was on Kung Fu. He was on uh, SWAT. Uh, He was on Canon. (laughs) Everybody was on Canon. Uh, so he did stuff like that, and that kind of built up. A, he built up a little bit of a portfolio, and um, did some movies. Did Semi Tough and Force Ten from Navarone, which is a great adventure movie. So anyway, uh, Carl Weathers, seventy six, rest in peace. Speaking of football, I saw. I thought this was very strange. I, I'm not sure how to take this. So one of the big sports stories this week was the uh, decision by Jim Harbaugh to leave the national champion Michigan Wolverines, college football national champions, finally leads him to the promised land, and he's and no sooner does he get that that you know that title, that achievement, then he takes a job in the NFL, where he had been before. He's been an NFL coach before. He's going back to the NFL. He's going to be the uh, head coach for the L.A. Chargers. And it really wasn't a surprise. It was kind of expected. But when they introduced him uh, as the new head coach this week, he announced that he's going to drive his RV to L.A. and live in it. Now, he's making a lot of money. Made a lot of money at Michigan. I don't know what his salary is uh, with the Chargers. This, this, was, this was the most sought-after guy in the coaching carousel this year. So he pretty much, he could pretty much name his price. He's going to live in his RV. And he actually said, I love this, I'm going to Jim Rockford it for a while. And you got to be a certain age to know what that even means. I'm going to Jim Rockford it. He said that he did research and he identified some places where he'd like to park the RV. He's got some spots picked out. One of them's near Disneyland. A couple of them are near the water. He says, I'm going to Jim Rockford it for a few months before we buy a place. And he also credited his wife for being willing to do that. you got to check with the wife before you. Before you, Jim Rockford. Because Jim Rockford didn't have a wife, right? 
So you got to that's that's a very serious and important conversation to have before you do that. I don't know. You'd almost think if it was anybody else, you'd almost think is he not sure this is going to work out? Like this is the ultimate way of saying I may not be here very long. Going to live in an RV. But no, he's he's probably going to be there. I'm sure they'll give him a ample opportunity uh because he's a name coach and all that stuff, but yeah, he's gonna Jim Rockford it for a while. <laughs> it's, be, it's become a verb, I guess. Huh? It's a verb. <laughs> now, if I was gonna Jim Rockford it, I'd get myself a that that uh, kind of orange Firebird, you know. Yes, was it orange? I don't want to live in the I don't want to live in the mobile home. Yeah, but I want that car. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I seem to be more um, canoning it than Rockford. <laughs> I uh, I am in the wrong uh, 70s detective series. All right, 210-599-5555. And uh, Hilda is on the dish. Happy Friday, Hilda. Hi, sir. Um, I want to suggest of a bakery for dessert. I heard it at uh, on Texas Eats. And I mm-hmm. said, let me go ahead and try something like that for dessert. It's called Alebrije. A-L-E-B-R-I-J-E, Bakery. Mm -hmm. And it's south of, um, I think it's Fort Sam Houston, the base. And the address is 1931 North New Braunfels. Mm -hmm. And I went in there uh, to try out one particular one, but it wasn't wasn't necessarily for me. And so I went ahead and tried... um, Two others, two other items, and I really enjoyed the conchas. The mm. conchas there, their their topping, the crust is a little bit. Um, it has the same topping, but it's the design of the crust is a little bit different. But I can say they're they're very tasty, and the word would be tender. They're very mm-hmm. tender, very nice, and uh, they have them in different color of toppings. And mm-hmm. then I tried the pink cake. It's like a cheat, cheat cake. Um, mm-hmm. That was okay, but I, I favored the conchas. And then mm-hmm. there was another one that um, the uh, the Texas Eats host said he really loved that it was the, like the best one in town. Well, it was I mean it was okay for maybe somebody else, but not for me. But that was okay, okay. and it's called the mm-hmm. cuvilete. Uh, and that okay. is almost like a cake, uh, like a cheesecake. Mm-hmm. And it has some kind of like a cream inside. Not so mm-hmm. much cream cheese because it's not a cream cheesecake, but anyway. But you would say definitely so, try the concha the first time you go there. Start with that. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it's... Did, it's, you, uh, it's, did you drink the coffee? How was the coffee there? I don't drink coffee, but I saw... Oh, okay. um, a few customers that had walked in and they sat down with a and had coffee. Because I can't eat something like that without. I got to have coffee with it. I just like one goes with the other for me, and and I would I, I would want to have the coffee. But I brought it home. I didn't yeah. eat them. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and I really Alabrije. Love so it's Alabrije Bakery, nineteen thirty one. North New Braunfels Ave. Is it a big place or a small place? What would you say? It's very cute. It's very quaint. It's small. It's a brick, like a red brick, 
little building, um, and it's not like two blocks south of of and Houston. Of the base, great, nice job describing it, Hilda. You, you you made me want to go. You made me want to go right over there. I love that. Thank you for calling us, and that's thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Praise for Alabrihe Bakery. Uh, 1931 North New Braunfels. Now, I, I should mention, I'm looking at the website. They have some interesting hours. Uh, they're open Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from 7 to 3, and Saturday and Sunday from 9 to 5. And they're closed on Monday and Tuesday. So check before you go. A-L-E-B-R-I-J-E. I do like the name. I kind of like the name. I don't know. That sounds very intriguing. Alibrihe Bakery. All right, 210-599-5555. Praise or zing. Your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. That's what we're talking about right now. We're Jim Rockfording our way to the end of the hour. My new favorite verb. Um, boy, there's always some crazy story on one of the airlines. Have you heard this? Heard about this lady on Frontier Airlines? Have you heard this story? Passenger on a Frontier flight from Orlando to Philadelphia is facing federal charges after her caught-on-video meltdown where she flashed the entire cabin by pulling down her pants and underwear and pretending to go to the bathroom in the aisle of the plane. Dulce Huertas, age 60, which I think is old enough to know better, right? We're not talking about a you know immature forty five or fifty year old sixty. Uh, got out of her seat while the plane was coming in for a landing and announced, "I have to pee." A flight attendant told her she had to sit down because the plane was getting ready to land. She began cursing, um, took her seat, but then after the plane landed and was taxiing to the gate, she began yelling and screaming at passengers around her. And that is when she acted out, announcing, sorry, everybody, and then pulling down her slacks and underwear, squatting as if to urinate in the aisle. She showed, uh, you know, it was front and rear view. You know what I'm saying? Do I have to go further? Can I stop there? Okay. You know what I mean, right? Do you have any idea here? At least everyone knows that she did not come from the diaper spa. She did not. She seems like a, she seems like a very good candidate for the diaper spa. Um, what's, I think even, just, just to add, I mean, that's, that's weird by itself, needs no help. But it's, it's, it's just amazing to me that people just very calmly, no matter what's happening around them, people just very calmly get their phone, Start videotaping. You know? Like, I'd just be standing there, like, with my jaw on the floor. Other people are like, well, okay, camera, video, zoom. You wouldn't be any help. Interior lighting. <laughs> you know, they're, like, doing the settings, you know. So she was um, pretty upset. But, you know, you're on Frontier. You're not in a great... You're not really in a great mood to begin with. Oh, there you, you know. go. I saw, I saw a um, comedian one time did a bit about, like, Frontier and Spirit Airlines, and he was saying, you know how, like, you see in the movies something happens on a plane, somebody has a medical emergency, 
And um, they'll always ask, is there a doctor on board the plane? He said, when you're on Spirit, they know there's not a doctor on board the plane because it's Spirit. So they're like, is there a pharmacist on the plane? Is there a person that took first aid in the Boy Scouts? Is there, you know, does anybody have Band-Aids? You know, they kind of don't, kind of, kind of lower the expectations down a little bit. So maybe on Frontier, this is what happens. I don't know. You've talked about using some of Trump's money you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, Rachel. Yes. Tell me. I had such such great ideas (laughs) for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely (laughs) new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? (laughs) It's yours, Rachel. Mm. Um, On my list of things to do this weekend... Going shopping with Eugene Carroll is actually the last thing on the list. It's at the bottom of the list. I might not get to it. Just saying. There's a very good chance I will not make it to that point. On the JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery, will the women's vote save Biden's reelection? In a lot of surveys, women's, uh, w- women voters, women's voters, women voters, the women's, as I like to call them, um, are the one group that are solidly with the president. He's got them. Mid to upper 50s. Will the women's vote save Biden's re-election? 85% say no. 15% say yes. We'll see. I have to reconsider that suffragette movement at the rate we're going here. Did you see where um, Bud Light has a new spokesman? I mean, Bud Light has had themselves quite a quite a time with the whole Dylan Mulvaney thing. And we all know what a disaster that was. And believe it or not, that, that seems like it was years ago, but that was really just a year ago. They were they were promoting the NCAA tournament when they made the genius decision to get Dylan Mulvaney. Well, now they've announced a partnership with comedian Shane Gillis. And if you don't know who he is, we've played clips of him, Don, right? We've played a, a cl- at least once, I think, maybe more than once. Uh, we've played Shane Gillis' clips. He does a great uh, Trump impression. He's kind of a schlubby, uh, you know, he's very funny, but he's just kind of a schlubby. He looks like a Bud Light kind of guy, you know? He looks like he looks like a guy that could conceivably be a Bud Light drinker. And uh, we'll see if he can save the brand. They're going to be sponsoring his tour this year. And he says on his uh, Instagram, he's excited to announce his partnership with Bud Light, hashtag Bud Light Partner. Shane Gillis was also um, the target of the cancel culture at one time. I want to say maybe about uh, three or four years ago, as an up-and-coming comedian, he was named one of the new cast members of Saturday Night Live. And before he ever got to start, he was let go by NBC because they said they came across some uh, stuff on his podcast and his 
social media where he made you know jokes about race and gender and stuff like that and um they put out a statement saying we have reached an agreement with him that he's not going to join our cast we were not aware of his prior remarks so it's interesting this is a guy who i mean he tells a lot of off-color jokes and he's you know kind of edgy um but he's also very like uh relatable in short if they had just done this in the first place they wouldn't need to do it now you know like you wouldn't need him at all if you hadn't done the Dylan Mulvaney thing but you did the Dylan Mulvaney thing and the Shane Gillis thing might be how you, I don't know it might be how they climb out of it i've often wondered if what would save bud light is the fact that did you ever notice how many bud light signs and sponsorships there are all over the place i drove by Rotama park yesterday it's plastered with bud light signs and I'm sure all of this, and every time you go in a bar, there's Bud Light signage and neon signs. All that stuff predates Dylan Mulvaney. You know, it never went away. It was never taken down. So I guess maybe the combination of Habit and Shane Gillis. We'll see. We'll also see Monday when we go back live at 4. Look for the podcast of this show at KTSA.com. And have a great weekend.